Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. I'm very grateful for the chance to be here this morning, and it's my first time to you all. So, um, so my intention is to to share a bit, a bit more, but a bit more about myself, but also to share some a reflection on the new year and on new beginnings and on the potential opportunities of what we have in front of us. To do that, I want to use Nehemiah as a starting point. So I want to share a reading from Nehemiah with you, which starts in chapter 1, verse 1, and goes through till chapter 2, verse 6. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my, for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried in is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, Well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, 
with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. That's the end of the reading. Now for the difficult bit. It does work great. So I want to share three little stories with you. One is Nehemiah's. One is a little bit about myself and things I relate to. And one becomes more personal for each one of us. The reason for New Beginnings is because it's the first Sunday of the new year, 2018. 2017 was one of those years that will not be remembered well by anybody. I'm not sure that great things happened. We look at the international context of our, of our land and we think that was a hard year. The way that Claire prayed this morning once again so beautifully was a reminder of just how challenging everything is for everybody. Within our own families, life feels more stressful than perhaps it's been before. Within our nation, within our family, within our villages and towns, internationally, I don't feel I've ever in my 51 years ever seen anything quite so complicated as the world that we live in now. Syria, Yemen, um, the list goes on and on and on. So many things that we don't even get onto the news anymore because other things is more, new, other items are more newsworthy. Um, there's something, we're at a tipping point once again in our, in our, in our history. And this is where Nehemiah comes in. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. The people of Israel had been exiled for, for many years. And two, two groups of, of Israelites had returned back to Israel, yet Nehemiah is still in Persia. So Nehemiah is still doing the job he was doing, which is to look after the king. The king's cupbearer is a very important post. Um, chief butler, head of domestic housekeeping, um, all sorts of things. It's Cupbearer sounds a little simplistic and a little um, understated. But he was clearly the key person, uh, in many ways a key confidant and a key aide to the king. Um, perhaps that bridge between normal, ordinary people and the aristocracy, the elite that the king would spend most of his time with. So Nehemiah had an important role of, of being that intermediary, that communicator between what the people on the street are saying and how the king is reacting and, and to the things that the king is doing. It's a quite an important role. Yet this, what happens is that Hanani, his brother, comes back. I have two older brothers and I now watch two little boys who are brothers interrelate. How brothers relate to each other, complicated, complex, unstated in this passage. Who was Hanani? Was he older brother, younger brother? How does it all fit together? Where was Nehemiah? Hanani comes back and tells Nehemiah, Judah's in a mess. We're in real trouble. We've been back 13 years ago. We went back in 458 BC. This is 445 BC. Things are messy. Judah's not working. The walls are broken down. What are walls? Walls are structures. But what do walls indicate? Walls indicate power, strength, authority. The walls of Judah were broken down. Judah was weak and vulnerable and exposed. Hanani comes back and says, 
we're in trouble. So the context for Nehemiah is that he was probably where he didn't want to be, really, but the way he was praying, Nehemiah wanted to be in Judah, but he was currently in the fortress of Susa, serving King Artaxerxes, being the king's cupbearer. So he probably didn't really want to be there, in truth. Perhaps he was uncomfortable that he had stayed. Why hadn't he gone back when Hanani, his brother, had gone back? Was he too young to go? Was he too important to leave? What happened? There's there's something going on in his mind about what he was doing. Perhaps he was saying, I'm so important, I'm so it's so important that I stay. I'm so responsible, I've got so many important things to do, I've got to make sure the king has nice wine every day, doesn't get poisoned, doesn't get killed, I've got to make sure that the house, the palace works properly. I'm too important to move, I'm too comfortable, I'm too safe. Does the importance of his role become his blanket of protection against doing what he wants to do? Yet, he's a devout believer in God, the way he prays, he knows what Moses has told them, he knows, he cares. So there's something about Nehemiah is driven by this tension between his faith and his work. He, he perhaps feels trapped, he feels stuck, he feels unsure what to do. But then, when his brother comes back and tells him the story of what's actually happening, perhaps the first news that's come back from Judah for many years, Nehemiah is hurt by just how much trouble there is. The truth cuts through all of the, the, the surrounding noise for him. He is shocked, saddened and appalled by the news. He's, he doesn't like what he hears. His people are in trouble. What does he do? What all good devout believers ought to do? He prays about it. His prayer is then not a case of, God, can you find some way of solving the problem because it's really messy and you should do something about it. And oh, how I wish the leaders in Jerusalem would do more and can't they think about how to resolve the war themselves and aren't there things they can do by themselves? He spent days praying, fasting, mourning. He's scared, he's worried, he's thinking through, what can I do? And then when he gets to the point when he says in his prayer, I've prayed and fasted for several days, Lord, right, now listen to my prayer. Nehemiah, has been, in his praying, has been journeying through his emotions and his reaction to what he's been hearing to the point where he's now saying, Lord, I'm forming a plan. Listen to my prayer. This is what I would like to do. Because in praying with God, God is sharing God's heart with Nehemiah in the same way that Nehemiah is sharing his heart with God. This mutual sharing of hearts between God and ourselves is a very powerful um, tool. In praying, Nehemiah says to God, this is what I want to do. And God is saying to Nehemiah, this is what I want you to do. So this is this duality of conversation. God sowing in Nehemiah's heart I don't like seeing my people in Judah without a wall either. You're upset by it. I'm upset by it. Let's use our passion, our anger, our frustration together. 
God anoints Nehemiah's plans with positive responses. So Nehemiah uses his position, uses his day-to-day skills to work out how to help God do God's will. What does Nehemiah do every day? He plans, he organizes, and he manages. He runs a whole household. That's something that comes naturally to him. It's what he's been doing for many years now. So Nehemiah just uses the skills that God has given him over the years that he's learned by being who he is. Nehemiah then applies them to what God wants him to do. So Nehemiah hatches this plan, how can I go back to help my people in Judah? Then the day comes when Nehemiah is presenting the wine to the king, when Nehemiah, for the first time in the history of their relationship, Nehemiah shows his genuine feelings, shows how he really feels. And because he and the king and Nehemiah must be friends, the king picks up on this and goes, why are you sad? Why are you troubled? This is when Nehemiah becomes brave. And Nehemiah actually, through prayer, uses bravery and in boldness steps out and says, King, this is what's happening. My people are an embarrassment. The walls are broken down. Things are broken. We need to do something about it. I need to do something about it. I need you to send me back to my people to repair that wall. There's a quick bullet prayer, which is key. Five days of praying, fasting, mourning, thinking it through, working through with God, what's on God's heart, what's on my heart, where's, where's, the, where's, the, where's the meeting point. Then when it comes to the chase, Lord, help me, I need to make this request today, this is it. He's asked the question, I've now got to answer the question. Help! We've all been there before. It matters, it works. So Nehemiah prayed, help! And then he says, Lord, and then he says to his king, king, I need you to send me back to my people. How long? How, what do you need? Okay. I think it's important that the queen is sitting next to the king. There must be something about that that's important. The king and the queen together must have a heart for Nehemiah. There's no reason in the way that Bible texts are written that the, what the name of the queen is there. She must be there for a reason. She must have said, yes, it's fine, go on, it's okay. There's something important about relationship. There's something important about the power and the equity between husbands and wives, between men and women, that needs to be stressed at all times whenever possible. Let's let our women speak, men, please. Consequence of all of this, after that prayer, Nehemiah gets the letters, gets the authorization. But because he spent five months thinking about this, his request isn't a case of, I need to go, can I go please? It's a case of, I need to go, and I need all these things. I need this, if you read on, I haven't had time to read on, but read on in chapter two. He gets a letter to go to Asaph. He gets a letter to go to someone else. He gets a letter to go to, the, so he gets all the timber that he needs to rebuild the wall. He gets all the money, he gets all the resources. So he's thought it all through, and he's got everything he needs to actually do the job. He's not just gone, empty-handed. He's gone with all the resources of the Babylonian Empire to enable his people to rebuild his wall. 
he's, all he's done is plan, like he does, to make sure that the food is in the house. And he's just applied his skills to a new situation that has God's blessing on it. If you read on in Nehemiah, you'll discover that the wall gets built in 50 days. Despite oppression, despite opposition, despite doubt, despite fear, it all happens as he planned. Why? Because God was in it, and God wanted it. That's story number one. Story number two will be my story a little bit, send a cow story a little bit, a bit about Karis as well, as I think. Um, You might be wondering, who am I? My name's Richie. My name, I'm Richie Olford. Um, I'm a son of a Devon farming family. I grew up just outside Exeter on a dairy farm. I milk cows from the age of about four um, till about 34, something like that. I forget now. Um, and loved farming. It's in my blood. It's in my fingernails. It's, it's all over me, really. Um, we were a chapel family as well. We went to the local Plymouth Brethren Church in the village of Silverton. So I grew up with faith, with God, with church in my, in my DNA as well. Um, and for me, a, a journey of faith was a very easy one. Um, I committed my life to the Lord in, when I was 12 at a, at a summer camp on the edges of Dartmouth, looking out over the sea. Um, and for me, faith has been a key part of all of my journey. Why does Send a Cow matter? Um, my father was um, very involved in farming politics um, and very involved in church politics, I suppose. The, 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 the business of managing churches. He was trustee of various chapels around Devon and so very connected to, to the hearts of many. He knew many farmers. Oh, that didn't. Come on. But he was angry about what was happening. So in 1984, the European Union decided that we needed to bring in milk quotas. Milk, there was too much milk in the UK, not enough milk everywhere else. We had to cut cows. For farmers who grew up... So my dad was born in 1931. He grew up through the Second World War. He grew up through a country that was hungry. He knows how it felt for the country to be hungry. Dad's passion was to feed people. That's what he did. That's what drove him. So for them to be told by the European Union that he had to cut some cows, sell some cows, reduce the amount of milk he would sell because we didn't need it anymore, hurt him deeply. The injustice that that drove into him was really hurt him a lot. Um, so he didn't like the way international politics had gone and was affecting farming. Yet all farmers were comfortable. They were losing some money, but it was they were still getting paid okay. It was better then than it is now for dairy farmers. So they were comfortable, they had responsible jobs, and they were safe. And many of the farmers that we would know would be strong Christians who were very active in their local churches and, and all the rest of it. Then, Anthony Bush, who's a farmer on the edge of Bristol, I had a visit from a Ugandan bishop. The Ugandan bishop came and told him the truth about what was happening in Uganda in, 19, in the mid-1980s, post Idi Amin, as a result of the civil war. How a whole country had been devastated by civil unrest, by um, um, a, a, a war between two 
factions of a country and how the country was on its knees. All the cows in the country being killed because that's how armies fight guerrilla warfare. And the Ugandan bishop, when standing in the field, and Anthony Bush explained, these cows that I can look at now, they've all got to be dead by April because the European Union doesn't want them to be alive anymore because I can't sell that milk. The Ugandan bishop simply said, stick them on a plane and send them to us. We need them. You've got them. No one in your country wants them. We'll have them. Anthony was shocked, saddened and appalled by the news. And he rang his Christian friends, my dad, others who I could name, and said, someone's come and asked us, can we send our cows to Uganda? What do you think? A little bit like Nehemiah, you could say, we'll pray to God and someone will try and find a problem. Someone will try and solve it. it we need to leave that in God's hands because that's where it should be. The, the farming men and women sat around a table one day and said, what should we do? They read Matthew 25 to each other. If you give a cup of milk to someone in need, it's as though you give it to me, the Lord. And they felt obligated to do something about it. So they chose to respond and do something in prayer. They said, well, there must be something we can do. God anointed their plans with positive responses. They went to visit, to plan, to organize, and to manage. They made sure that it was make sense. Farmers don't put their hands in their pockets to things that aren't sensible and practical and rewarding. There's a joke about farmers being tight-fisted and long pockets, short arms. So if a farmer's going to invest in something, there must be something in it that's worth doing it. So two farmers went out to Uganda to say, if I was a cow, would it work? Answer, yes. Okay, so there's actually no reason why we can't do it. There's no practical human reason why we shouldn't do this. Some professionals said it's a waste of money. They'll get killed when they get there. They'll get eaten. All these things will happen because people are people. Despite this doubt, they carried on in prayer and trust, and they went, it must be okay to do this. So in their minds, they were going to get 20 Inca Fefas together, stick them on an airplane, send them to Entebbe Airport. Job done. We've responded to the call. We've made a token effort. We've had a go. We've done it. 30 years later, the charity still continues. So they received all the, in the same way that Nehemiah received all the blessing of God, send a cow farmers had the same story here. And I must thank you as a church for giving so generously when I talked to you about it about a month ago. Between all of you, you've raised over £180, and there's, that's been doubled by the government and everything else. So we've made so much money. So I'm so grateful to you all for your kindness and generosity. So now I just want to move on to, those are two stories, Nehemiah and the story of the farmer's rent and a cow, of how God, when people chose to respond to appalling news, have been able to make a huge difference. The theme of the service today has all been about 
Lord, for the years of how you've guided us, um, about God's provision, about God's potential for us to, to, to change. Claire's prayer was a, was a, was a challenge to us to open us up to what more can we do? What else can we do? What different can we do? What is your context? Are you somewhere where you don't want to be doing something you don't want to do? Stuck in a job that you wish you weren't? Are you uncomfortable that someone else is doing something that you could do as well? Do you feel convicted by God to do something more? Do you look at the circumstances of your street, of your family, of your parish, of your community, of the refugees from Syria, of the people in Yemen, of the people in North Korea, of wherever? What do you feel convicted by? What commissioning do you want to move forward? I will stop talking for just a couple of minutes to let you think about that. What is your context? Where are you now at the beginning of 2018? Forget what's happened before. Forget if things have gone wrong before. In that joke of the Irish saying, I wouldn't start from here, in God's language, that doesn't matter. God doesn't care where you are now. God cares where you're trying to go to. There is always a way from where you are now to somewhere that is more in line with God's thinking. God doesn't care what went wrong before. If you tried and failed, God doesn't mind. And God can use everything that you've learned for his benefit and for his glory. So Nehemiah maybe spent 13 years wishing he wasn't cupbearer, but for those 13 years he learned the art, he learned the skills he needed to do what was necessary when the time came. Sendakei farmers spent years farming. They would all now say their legacy of changing Uganda is much more important for them than the farming that they did. That wasn't, it wasn't worthless time farming. Of course it's important to farm. Of course it's important to feed people. But for them all, their greater blessing was in what they then did for Uganda, not just in for the UK. So whatever's happened before, it doesn't matter. It's what's next that's important. What else can I do now? God wants to know what your heart's desires are. And God wants to share his heart's desire with you. That's what prayer is. Prayer is a dialogue. It's a conversation. It's an understanding of what each of us can bring to each other. So I'll leave those words on the screen for a little while. And then I'll close with a prayer. And then we'll sing. And then the children will come up. And then we'll close. So just leave you to think about what is your context, your own personal context. What is your own personal conviction? And what's your own personal commission? How can 2018 be different than 2017? How can there be nothing like fake news but good news? So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, close us at this sermon with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to, to stop and reflect at the beginning of a new year. For each one of us, we have a new context. 
Help us see our own context for what it is. Help us see our reality through your eyes. Help us receive truth about situations around us that we can do something about. Give us a conviction to use our skills and our time in a way that helps us commission us to move forward. Help us to step forward with boldness and with great purpose and with great clarity. Because the spirit that lives within us is greater than the spirit that lives within the world. Bless each one of us as we move forward. Help us to step forward with boldness, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.